Welcome to the Did You Know Crypto Podcast. Today, I'm really happy to be welcoming Luke Mulks of the BAT and Brave Browser. He's head of business development over there. And it's a really, really cool conversation. I've been fascinated by the economics of the basic attention token and how it's going to change how we interact online with ads and how publishers interact with us, the consumers. It's really, really cool. We also talk about why they decided not to go with Bitcoin and why that's controversial. But it's it's a, a conversation I've been looking forward to for a while. So I think you're gonna really enjoy it. It's got some really neat ideas on how we can change how we advertise on the internet. I do have to apologize. My gain was turned up a little bit and there's distortion on my end throughout the interview. So I apologize for that. It won't happen in the future. But first, if you could really quick go over to supportmypodcast.com, you'll see all the ways that you can support the podcast here. The easiest way, however, is if you just go over to iTunes, leave a five-star and a written review, and that really, really helps. It bumps us up in the algorithms. You have no idea how much that really helps to spread the word and make the podcast more popular. But mostly, I'd like to say thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Did You Know Crypto podcast. Today, I'd like to welcome Luke Molks, Director of Business Development for both the Brave Browser and Basic Attention Token, an innovative product seeking to reinvent the relationship between advertisers, content creators, and their customers. Luke, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, you know, and I've, I've been a, a fan of Brave, uh, been a user of the browser since it, you know, first came out and I think I I can't remember the first time I heard about it. It was, it was sometime last year. Um, but it, you know, it's concept appealed to me, uh, as well as the, you know, the economic incentives made, you know, real sense. Um, but, uh, why don't we tackle those kind of the, the two products, you know, uh, separately. So, uh, first let's talk about the, the brave browser concept itself. And I know that they're, they're definitely, you know, uh, intermingled and, and one is part of the other, uh, per se, but, with the Brave browser and the way that it integrates BAT, you know, what problem is it solving and how does it specifically solve it? Yeah, sure. So uh, the problem basically, you know, in order to browse a free internet now, you, you kind of have to sacrifice your privacy as a result. And, and also, you know, you've got all these parties, the third parties and advertisers just kind of slowing down your internet, costing your battery, sucking up all your data, and it's all basically to track your behavior. And so what Brave kind of seeks to do as a browser is, is from a very fundamental level, just start by blocking anything that would uh, track or record your behavior by default and uh, and create an environment where you have the you own the consent to to basically give data to to whoever you want to at your leisure like and so we're not opposed to people giving data to to, uh, to other parties on the web it's more about like just stopping this uh, you know current condition of having everything be opt out only and 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 assuming that people can go ahead and like you know track your behavior and collect that and then then make money off of it at your expense basically like the users and the publishers they kind of get the short end of the stick and that's one of the things that we're trying to do as a browser is like not only create a really cool fast browser that works really well um but also respect user privacy and create alternatives that 
you know, allow for a web to operate and function and businesses to, you know, transact and, and, and be businesses while protecting the user privacy and including the user in the deal. And I think that's a, a very, you know, important thing. I think more people are starting to realize that, that, uh, you know, kind of the early days of the internet, we kind of trusted um, maybe a little bit too much the concept, you know, the, the open internet and, and just kind of this free for all that we had and, you know, post basically, I would say probably the start of social media was really the, the big part and maybe Google to an extent before that with their tracking and, and Google ads. It used to be, because I remember that used to be a pretty good business you could run back in the day of, of setting up web, websites that basically ran off uh, using Google ads and then, and then AdWords um, to, well, do you have me on speaker maybe? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm using the speaker. Oh, okay. Sorry. I, just, I was just hearing myself a little bit. Um, oh, sorry. No, no, that's fine. Um, and, and used to be able to make quite a bit of money doing that. And then it, that, that started to, uh, uh, you know, fade off as I digress a little bit, but with the advent of social media and, and tracking and being able to collate all this data on everything that you do, I think more people are starting to wake up to that, especially um, in the post 2016 election a little bit in, in the way that as they're starting to talk about how ads are getting targeted, although I think that's, that's far overblown of what it actually was uh, the, how powerful, especially on Facebook, they, uh, how powerful those ads are as anybody who runs like a business doing Facebook ads, it's a great resource because it's probably the best targeted ad um, product out there, but it's amazing how much data points that they have on you to really peg you down on who you are, what you like and what you're probably going to like and want to do. And it, go ahead. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. I mean, like I, uh, you know, for a little bit of background, right. I, before I came to brave, I worked in digital advertising for a long time. Um, and I worked for a company that basically was uh, hired by publishers to kind of help integrate ad products with their developers and run campaigns and things like that. And when I started, you know, mobile was just starting to kind of mobile advertising was just starting to kind of pick up. But by the time I left, it was, you know, there wasn't really a moment when you weren't getting tracked by somebody. And I think that, you know, people don't really understand. It's almost unfathomable the amount of data collection that's going on, um, even when you're you don't you're not accessing your device in a room. It's pretty it's so big that I mean, like when I saw what Bray was doing, kind of got me motivated, like to see, OK, there's something over there that's new and and. and potentially you know viable so like uh but i think it's way over people's heads like how much data these companies have and you know what's being done with it and who it goes to you know yeah coming from a libertarian point of view i think that for quite a long time there there was a the thought of that the big danger was state level collection which is you know obviously something to be concerned about as far as in in regards to constitutional protections or or the, the violations there you know of those but I think that a lot of what gets overlooked uh, from from people in my circles, also the the, the, the corporate side and yeah. how much is being done at that level and how much can be done. Um, I was just watching a documentary. I haven't had enough time to, to go back and actually look at, at the um, uh, the actual research behind it and and and, all, you know, the, the backing up of their claims. But I think it was called the creepy line. Um, it was about Google mostly, but also mm -hmm. it goes into Facebook. And they talked about their ability. They did some studies on the ability for their uh, how they can swing elections by how they stack what's on the first page of a surge. 
of a search engine. If it's if you search a specific candidate and most of the things are negative um, versus another candidate where most of them are positive, they found, according to them, that they could swing upwards of 20 percent um, in, an, in an election. Which wow. shows you how how powerful that is, um, and and how yeah, dangerous the corporate it, level can be. It's one of those things where you know it's not necessarily a binary thing either. Like you know, the the government can tap right into the the data that the businesses are collecting too. And I think that's the other part of this. You know, it seemed like it was kind of an odd coincidence when you know you had these Snowden revelations come out and then right after that or maybe right around the same time you start to see this whole data warehouse boom happen in the corporate space and i mean i worked with a lot of these uh companies and you know the the data collection they're doing is pretty insane i mean like it's 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 kind of a it's almost like a murder of the two and and it's kind of a shared uh, a shared threat to privacy you know the fact that you know any and the way the laws are with these like national security letters you know you don't even know that things are happening and if these companies tell you then you know they're they're violating the law it's very it's very weird now i mean that's one of the reasons why i think you know it's really important to start like standing up whether people are aware of it or not you know just having smart people trying to stand up new things is pretty important in my opinion and actually if we could go back just a little bit uh you mentioned you know what you were doing for that uh so where did you before you got into uh brave what were you doing uh, and and before you came into kind of the Brave and BAT uh, world, were you into the, the, the Bitcoin circles or was this kind of also your first foray into the area? Yeah. So before I came to Brave, I worked for a company called OAO um, and we did like outsourced ad operations for uh, publishers. And so I worked for you know, the NFL was our client and, you know, Comcast, uh, Warner Brothers, um, a lot of big names in, in publishing and media. Uh, and we basically were kind of the go between between them and their ad serving stack. And so we learned, you know, a lot of the different ad product stacks and then how to integrate them. So kind of work between sales, uh, engineering and uh, the content itself. And so um, I wasn't I was always been kind of interested in Bitcoin uh, and, and always been a little bit interested in privacy, too. But um, I really didn't dive too far into it until I started at Brave and saw what they were doing, because the first thing that kind of caught my eye, I was I was in a rabbit hole looking through like tour uh, videos and things like that. And I saw I kind of stumbled upon on Twitter uh, the request for comment for the uh, Brave Payments uh, proof of concept, which was using Bitcoin. Um, and uh, and it kind of reignited my earlier, uh, you know, research into Bitcoin and got me excited about it again. Oh, that's very cool. I, I, I'm i always interested in people that kind of come from um, that background. I find digital marketing to be be very, a very, uh, you know, interesting world and much different. Um, and I think that I'm sure that you saw that as well, that the Digital, you know, like legacy companies um, who usually retained, you know, legacy advertising firms, how they have interacted with the digital world has always been about 10 steps behind for the most part. I mean, most yeah. of these companies were not trying to get a Facebook page until Facebook pages were really not cool anymore. And, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's always interesting how they do that. But, you know, and let's, let's jump back into, you know, the basic attention token and brave and and what they're going to be doing differently because uh, uh well actually why don't we go into bat why don't you explain how bat uh basic attention token will integrate with the brave browser and also um with with other browsers uh as well in the future and what what yeah, it, sure. it is going to do 
Yeah, sure. No, no problem. Uh, so the basic attention token, it's a ERC-20 token. Um, and uh, we basically, it's basically the, has a very distinct use case as the uh, unit of account for attention within our platform. And so the way that you can kind of think about it is it's almost like, you know, um, it's definitely, it's a utility token and we've had utility in the platform since October of 2017 um, when we switched over from uh, using a Bitcoin-based proof of concept. Um, and it basically has a distinct purpose of, you know, measuring and accounting for attention uh, in the browser. Um, and then, you know, uh, later on, you know, when we extend this through an SDK that'll be open source and secure um, where other app developers can integrate the basic attention token into their apps. Uh, but basically, you know, like if you look at the way that, that advertising works now and the way that just kind of monetization works on the web, uh, you, you're in an environment where nobody really trusts each other. And the people that don't trust each other are one thing, but the user doesn't really know that any of this stuff's going on. So, like, for example, um, when I was at my at my previous job, I, I would get emails from clients and, and they were publishers. Right. And, and they would and we were hired guns. So they basically like uh, pick our brains on things occasionally and an hourly rate. And so um, they would ask me to kind of check out some of the ad tags that they were running to see what the agency was doing and to track the publisher. And so you kind of get in this weird environment where, you know, you've got publishers that are, are being tracked by agencies, agencies kind of tracking the publishers, and, I mean, and vice versa. And then the user is getting tracked by everybody. Um, and you, you'll have an ad creative, you know, that banner that you see has like four or five different trackers loaded on it from different domains. And some of them are trying to make sure that what's getting measured is getting measured. And there's always these big discrepancies in between each of these things. So all you're really trying to do is look and see if somebody saw something and then, you know, confirm that that's happened. And, and the situation is so dire in that space that it requires having all these things happen, you know, all these different parties tracking each other. And so what we're trying to do basically is say, look, you know, we can pre-integrity to browsing, we can measure with integrity and use a token as a way to anonymously account for attention. Um, and then, uh, you know, over time as the blockchain space matures, you know, do more and more direct transactions on the blockchain um, and have a, have a kind of verifiable source uh, of data and a source of truth for uh, attributing attention. And so that's kind of where we're headed with this thing. And we're iterating and we had to kind of, you know, we have to be pragmatic too, because we're a business, but like, um, and we have to operate in a compliant way. And, you know, Publishers, uh, there's a lot of great crypto uh, publishers out there that that are happy to accept fee, uh, crypto instead of you know fiat currency. But the reality is, you know, if you start going to a lot of publishers and 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 telling them that you've got this great crypto thing, they just you know if I ask them about the bat, they're going to say, well, what's a Bitcoin? You know that kind of thing. Um, and so you know we we built a model in a system to kind of be easy for publishers to jump on board and then uh, and make it so that you know we could get them participating. And as a result, I think we're at about twenty thousand. Uh, verified publishers or 28,000 verified publishers and creators um, on our platform that are uh, using the token. So um, that's kind of it in a nutshell. It's a unit of account for attention um, and uh, it's a way for users to get rewarded and publishers to get rewarded for, uh, for activity they do in the browser. So uh, one of the questions or I guess just say criticisms that comes from uh, the, the crypto community Mostly, I would say from uh, Bitcoin, uh, the, the maxless community, the, the Bitcoin only folks, is that uh, originally you guys were going to you know, integrate Bitcoin in this. And then at some point you switched to the ERC-20 utility token. Um, their, their criticism of, of this is, uh, one, why not use Bitcoin? 
you know, adding a token only adds friction into a system. Um, when, you know, when any other, when Bitcoin or any other crypto could have been used in, in their case, Bitcoin. Uh, so why, why go with an ERC 20 token? And at some point, will you guys also be integrating other, you know, I guess payment channels in there so that people could pick from, you know, something like a stable coin or, or Bitcoin or something like that? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a great question. And and yeah, that's a pretty fair assessment of the criticism. I mean, you know, we get it, we get it from all sides too. Um, but yeah, the the Bitcoin maximalists definitely give us some uh, feedback um, on a regular basis. So when we started doing this, we did use Bitcoin um, in our proof of concept. And uh, it was it was kind of a timing thing too. You know, we saw what what was possible with the Ethereum blockchain and, and, and writing applications uh, and designing them on top of uh, Ethereum. And, um, you know, from our point of view, there's a lot of interesting potential um, that we can go forward with with smart contracts. And so, you know, there, there are a couple other reasons, too. I mean, like having a distinct purpose for this token, you know, as a unit of account for attention has benefits, especially when we are talking about um, transacting on advertising and attributing attention and measuring attention. Um, it, it helps us also to like be able to do things like um, when we had our, our token sale, we uh, set aside uh, 300 million uh, basic attention tokens into a user growth pool that we can use to uh, to provide BAT directly to users, which we've been doing since uh, June of 2016 or 20, sorry, 2018 on, on a recurring monthly basis. We basically been giving out $5 in tokens to users to kind of bootstrap the platform. Um, but we can use it for other things too, like B2B uh, deals and, and partnerships. Uh, like we, we have the Dow Jones partnership where um, we utilize the, the user growth pool uh, to help subsidize uh, uh, attention for the subscriptions and, and things like that where, um, you know, having Bitcoin is great and everything like that. But, you know, it, it's it, it's kind of our our thing is to just have this kind of designated unit of account and um, and, and start to explore what's possible on the uh, in the smart contract space. So um, it's not a it's not a shot against Bitcoin or anything like that. And, and you know, we, there's a lot of us here that are big Bitcoin fans, too. And, you know, we even have the option within Brave now for you to uh, to deposit Bitcoin in and convert it to BAT. So it's not like we completely turned it off either. It's just it, from our side, it was uh, it was a really interesting, you know, opportunity for us to build something distinctive, something that really goes after the problem statement, because, you know, the advertising space and, and just monetizing attention on the web uh, and, and attributing for it is there's so many problem statements involved that like having a distinct use case and a distinct token for that is uh, something that, you know, it, it lets us uh, put focus on that work without kind of being at the mercy of some other factors that we might be at the mercy of if we are using something more general. So, I mean, I hear the feedback from people and it's definitely uh, free to free to provide it. And, you know, there's some, there's merits to everything. Right. Um, but from our point of view, having our own token was, was something that was just like kind of the right thing at the right time. And, uh, and it gives us some freedom to kind of like set us ourselves aside from some of the other, uh, I don't know, this stuff's so tribal, you know, with, with a lot of these, uh, projects and these tokens that even researching it is kind of hard these days. And so like, you know, we really want this thing to stand up and, and, and have it in a viable space where, you know, we can, we can make it our thing. Was there, uh, uh, as far as for in the future, is, is it going to be, um, uh, well, I mean, like BAT and Brave are, are you know, both products of the same company, um, but you don't necessarily need, I mean, because technically in the white paper, I, I believe for BAT, um, 
it's open for you know Chrome or Safari or you know Mozilla to take and integrate that, or you guys could create plugins if you want to and integrate BAT um, into those those other browsers, correct? Right. So yeah, we definitely. I mean, we and we we've been uh, big on this from the beginning, where you know ultimately we want to extend the bat outside of the browser. Um, and from our point of view, like the the ad platform that we're we're releasing is basically the last leg of the stool. You know, once we get that stood up, we can prove out you know the the entire utility case and and uh, and the economics of it and. At that point, once we have that stood up, we're going to be working aggressively to get the SDK out there and, and work on other like browser integration and things like that. And I mean, our code is open source too. There was a guy that, uh, a developer that made a Batify Chrome extension um, almost a year ago. Uh, and I'm not sure what's up with it lately, but uh, he did that and it was in the Chrome store for a while. I think it might still be there, but. Um, you know, that's a, that's an important thing here too. Like all of our codes, open source and, and auditable. And, you know, we're, we're all about kind of people playing with things. And so you could definitely, you know, prepare to see the bat go beyond brave and, you know, within brave too. I mean, it's not just limited to the bat either. I think that you could look at their, especially our desktop browser is kind of a, a playground for all these new uh, uh, web three protocols and, and for other, you know, for people to kind of have freedom to, to do what they want with their, with their crypto and, and, you know, not just make it about the bat, but have the bat be kind of this, you know, almost like a reward point or, or, you know, this utility in the browser that kind of keeps the attention moving forward. Yeah, so uh, that was kind of what I was getting at was that the the you know BAT and Brave itself uh, are are not necessarily tied together because I mean you could see um, BAT become the the bigger thing and as it as it goes you know browser wide, um, but where I, I guess where is the company's focus at the moment? Um, is it is it kind of fifty fifty or? Are you guys focusing more on getting basic attention token awareness out there that will drive traffic to to Brave or or vice versa? Well, I would say that like our, our primary focus right now is is on the browser. I mean, and and the uh, the bats kind of go goes hand in hand with the browser, but there's a lot that we're trying to stand up within you know the integrated platform too. So you know most eyes are just strictly on getting the platform stood up in the browser so we can prove out you know the the full use case and and the economics of it. So I would say like the most of the attention is on Brave, and and we've done a lot of things too. I mean. This last fall, we uh, completely overhauled our desktop browser, and so now we're using the uh, Chromium front end. We had previously had a uh, an Electron fork that we called Muon. Uh, it was a hard fork of Electron that we we're using on the front end of our browser, and we changed it over to uh, we were calling it internally Brave Core, but it's basically the Chromium front end. Um, and so what you get with that is you get a lot more of the like. I used to do a lot. I mean, I've gone to a lot of uh, hackathons and things like that and, and, and talked to hundreds of people about this. And the number one complaint I would get from people is like, I, I love the daily using using uh, Brave, but I can't use it as a daily driver until you guys support the extensions that I want um, and use. And uh, this new front end that we put on has allowed for that to happen. So pretty much any extension that you're using in Chrome, you can now use in Brave on our desktop browser. And, and that's available too on brave.com um, to all new users. And uh, and you can upgrade uh, your existing browser uh, if you're using our older version um, to jump onto the new one. And so a lot of focus has been on the browser as well. Um, we're working on getting the token into mobile as well because Right now, the token's only on uh, desktop. So in the next, you know, I think the next month, you'll you'll start to see uh, our Android browser integrating the token. And 
and uh, and that'll get pretty interesting too, I think, you know, because uh, we a majority of our user base is on mobile. And so um, I think that, you know, if we're doing our job right here, you know, there are two things that we're kind of we're doing. One is mainstreaming privacy without users having to know that we're mainstreaming privacy. It just works. Um, and uh, and the other piece is kind of mainstreaming, you know, token utility in the browser. And it's a similar situation where like stuff's over so many people's heads, it just has to work. And so if we can do that on mobile, it could be. It, I mean, we're looking at you know huge numbers of people that are all of a sudden using the stuff that weren't before. And I think that like regardless of what your favorite or what you're loyal to as far as the blockchains go and, and tokens, et cetera, like I think that, you know, having this technology in people's hands is the most important thing right now. And I think that, you know, if you, and this is my own personal opinion on this, right? Like if you look at the space, it, it gets pretty toxic. And, and if you try and put yourself in the point of view of somebody that's, you know, trying to learn this stuff, don't even go to Twitter, you know, like, <laughs> you find just, it, it's really hard to learn because, people are so biased on, on this stuff. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, communities can work on and, and, and we all need to do kind of a better job with is just trying to like, you know, look at the positives of what each of these projects and brings to the table and, and trying to see like, you know, what works and what doesn't work. And I mean, I don't know, it's, it's so odd to me that, you know, this, this space is, I mean, Bitcoin has been around for a while, but this space is so new and, and people have such strong opinions. It's, it's really interesting to me. No, I, I agree. Uh, the the opinions do run strong. I do understand better nowadays why, uh, mostly in the maximalist camp, why they have a lot, you know, very strong opinions. I I I have a lot of sympathies with them in the fact that I understand the 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 goal that they're trying to accomplish, um, and Bitcoin being the best way to achieve that goal. Why they would be extremely um, passionate about that, and then also very negative towards anything that they feel would distract from that. So I do understand that. But going back to your point of mainstreaming privacy, I love that concept of just like of of understanding users because the average user doesn't care about the reasons for why this X should be. Um, it's if you make it easy. And you make it easier than not, you know, the the right. If you make the right thing easier to do than the wrong thing, they will do the right thing. If you make the wrong thing easier to do, they will do the wrong thing. And I think that's one of the things that's missing a lot in this space is just the the concept of just a simple and easy UX um, uh, that you know that that's kind of a point click. And until you get to that point click done. Um, that it's as easy as everything that they use on a daily basis, then the average person isn't going to adopt this stuff. And the fact that you guys are focusing on that, I think is, is really cool and really important because, you know, like I, you know, like I said, once you make these things so simple that they don't even know that they're, you know, keeping their information private and doing the right thing in regards to their privacy, people aren't going to do it. But if, if the, the way you guys are approaching it, I'm, I'm very, very hopeful for that. But with uh, I think we should also talk maybe just a little bit about the from both the content creator and the you know the customer slash user um, um, point of view is that most people listening <clears throat> excuse me are probably users and don't quite understand the kind of issue that's facing content creators out there because you know five years ago or so uh, you know ads like on their sidebar of your website or whatever uh, it worked pretty good. Or even pop up. Pop ups are still the reason that they're out there is because they're effective. But um, right, <laughs> there's a reason. Like everybody hates them, but anybody that's ever run any kind of content or 
or any kind of website knows that pop-ups work better than if you just have something like at the top of every blog post or bottom of every blog post. But the diminishing returns has been, you know, you, you see it year after year for the most part on a lot of these, you know, quote unquote, tried and true stuff in the digital space, you know, the, the sidebar or the, the, you know, the Google ads is starting to lose its effectiveness. It's still worthwhile, but your bang for your bucks going down. So what people are seeing now as content creators is that people are opting out. They are, they're using ad blocking stuff. It, it's harder to get. So the, the, the question is like, how do we get, you know, people to, uh, how do how do I subsidize you know the the my content or not subsidize but be paid for what I put out there in a way, um, but not uh, overly exhaust people and and I, I think that the the BAT concept that the Brave Browser uh, integration of that is a, is a really cool um, uh, concept. If you wanted to kind of I don't know if you had any thoughts on on, um, on how how this you know kind of went over what problem it was solving, but if you want to go a little bit deeper into helping people understand oh, sure. the, the, the content creator's point of view with this. Hey folks, I hope that you're enjoying this episode as much as we are. I don't have any sponsors, so if you could go over to supportmypodcast.com, you'll see all the different ways that you can support the podcast from Amazon links to a bunch of other stuff. You can back us on Bitbacker with crypto, but most of all, if you can go to iTunes, and leave a five-star and a written review. It'd be very, very helpful. So thanks again, and enjoy the rest of the show. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's a great, it's a great, uh, it's a great point. And yeah, just to echo that, I mean, you know, the uh, content creators and publishers too, right? Like they're both, you know, the users aren't the only ones getting the bad end of the stick. I mean, um, you know, the users pay in a, in, a, in a bad experience that they get, you know, from having it be 2018 and pages, you know, seeming to load slower on faster devices than they have because of all these parties that are tracking them. But but the publishers really get creamed. I mean, and, and content creators, too. You know, you're, you're really as as Google and Facebook have gotten bigger, um, you just really become under the thumb of them. You know, any changes that they make have a serious impact and and on the publisher side like from my own past experience it was almost like you know a fashion a fashion a form of acronyms every year you know you're chasing the new three-letter acronym and you know you've got to have this to get the most yield and that to get the most yield and i mean when i started uh, things were very mapped out you know a publisher would would map out their content very carefully uh, in their ad architecture to make sure that you know when a user is on a certain page that the ads match with the content it was very contextual and what you started to see changing was you know this kind of explosion of like audience creation and expanding it and moving the target away from the content and putting it on the back of the user because you know you could all of a sudden do that with mobile and, and with all the connected devices and so um it, it for publishers it's been kind of chasing their tail for a long time um and the, the, it's been tricky too like i remember we had clients and when google amp and like facebook instant articles came out um they were sold as an as, as a positive the publishers and they would say yeah you can come and get these new new uh, revenue sources we'll even put you at the top of the search uh, carousel, you know, and and really we're promoting the hell out of AMP and and uh, and Facebook Instant, and you know it took about 15 months for publishers to really feel the brunt of that because. 
you know, when you have users, and I'm sure you're familiar with this, when you have users coming to your site, the ads you're getting on your own site, you know, are much richer, you're getting much better return on those things. And when Google all of a sudden starts to, you know, siphon your content into their, into their space, uh, in, into the, into their domain, um, you lose a lot of that revenue and, uh, and, you know, it's to Google's benefit. And so, um, publishers are, are, I feel really bad for them. You know, they, they, they're trying and, and there's a reason why clickbait's been a thing, you know, that part of them are trying to keep the quality of the content up, but the reality too, you know, you got to pay people and, um, and, that stuff sells people moved with that stuff and it's like uh but for the creators too oh my gosh it's been really rough like we started supporting youtube creators in november of uh of 20 i think it was 2017 um and uh and we started to support youtube creators on our platform we did a lot of engaging with them to try and get an idea for you know like how much of your ad revenue is ad revenue and like what are you trying to do to kind of offset that because it was right when youtube started to change their algorithm and, and, and uh, label things as sensitive content. And really, uh, it was kind of the start of that demonetization thing. And we would talk to people that were with YouTube from the very beginning. And, and they're saying, look, like, it's really weird. I've got, you know, millions and millions of subscribers now. And my ad revenue is 30 to 50% less than it was last year. And I don't know why, you know, they're making what they think is safe content. But for some reason, and some of this was probably like, you know, a bit of manual selection versus, you know, uh, uh, collisions and algorithms that are targeting and all that stuff. But the, I think the main takeaway was that, you know, YouTube made a decision, right? Like, in, instead of backing, you know, supporting the content creators, they decided that they were going to side heavily with what brands felt safe with and anything that felt remotely unsafe basically got demonetized. And there were a lot of bugs there. And I'm sure you saw two people would put the same video up with two different titles and one of them would get ads and one of them wouldn't. And so like this thing that you creators used to use like very easily uh, became not as easy to use anymore. And, and when you're, when you're, you know, trying to make a living as a creator and all of a sudden overnight, you know, you're losing 20, 30% of your revenue because of some algorithm change. Um, you have to get pretty scrappy and, and think of new ways to do it. And that's one of the reasons why we started supporting those YouTube creators, because, you know, it was kind of an opportune moment for us to do that, but it also wasn't very hard for us to adapt what we were doing for publishers to content creators. And a lot of them have their own websites. So, you know, for us, it was some added value um, for them that we could provide, but yeah, it's, it's rough out there. It's and and, you know, more and more users are on the internet and, but more and more creators pop up too. And, and it's a tough, it's a tough road for them. I mean, some of the stuff with Patreon and others, you know, Patreon really picked up and a lot of these creators are using that too. And, you know, but they, they have their own challenges, you know, it's a tricky space to work in. No, it definitely is. And it's, you know, it's, it's as, uh, you know, the, the ad landscape, you know, as things have gotten uh, the, as, as digital and, and technological advancements have come, it's only moved faster because you kind of look at, the way that the the way that uh, ads and companies using those ads uh, were targeting customers, you know, it, it was fairly constant. There were changes as culture changed over time, but then once the internet hit, like things really started to change quickly, and and uh, people or uh, to, uh, what am I thinking? I'm sorry, we're in a little bit of dayquil. Um, um, <laughs> a little okay. forgetful here, but uh, as you know, things started to change and adapt very quickly with you know what people wanted, where people's attention was, and and how um, you know ad you know, content creators and and you know people would would be able to target their their users and be able to monetize their content. It's just it's changing so much more rapidly, like constantly. Um, 
And and this is oh you go ahead. Oh no, it totally is. I mean, you know, and it's it's changing to Google and Facebook's favor. I mean, uh, you know, these campaigns that it used to be that programmatic ads were what you ran when you didn't have anything better to run, and and Google quickly spun it around and said, look, like if you're a publisher, how about we enable this feature that lets us compete against your direct buys? And all of a sudden, you know, there goes your sales staff. And so like, you know, they, they, it's, it's because they're really good at it, but they collect so much data, you know, like, I think that's the thing people don't really understand either. You know, you think about Google and it's a, it's a search company to most people. It's not like this huge advertising thing. They're making over 90% of their revenues from advertising and people, they still think of it as just a search engine, you know, or, or Facebook too. I mean, and uh, it, they're, they're so massive. It's just, it's wild. Yeah, no, I mean, like just from messing around with, with Facebook ads and being able to go like, I was trying to explain it to some people that, that were running businesses and going like, you know, like Facebook ads are bar none, regardless of what you feel about the company, I think is the best ad, you know, targeting platform out there. Uh, depends on who you're exactly targeting. If you're in the crypto world, like I can't do anything with my podcast right now on Facebook because, or Instagram because I can't run ads because they just uh, th- there's very few people that have been approved. But um, uh, if, especially if you're targeting like maybe a little bit older demographic, like the ability for you to go like, okay, uh, I want to target you know um, within 20 miles of my restaurant, you know, single mothers who make between 30 and $40,000 or 25 and $35,000, whatever it is, because according to our research data, they're the ones who buy our, you know, our product or our, you know, the, our, our take and bake pizza or whatever it is. Right. So that's our, our direct market. I want to target them. And you can really like, when you do it, like you will see some real great ROI on there. And that's not, that's oh, not yeah. just because they're guessing who is these things like it's it, the, the ability for them to be able to guess my ink or to know my income without me actually technically telling them that based on what I like, what I, what I say I do, or, you know, the different products that I've liked and bought. And it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, it's great. Like I said, from somebody who's trying to target ads, not maybe so great um, 20 years down the road when everything that you've ever done said, bought or thought, um, online is now collated and, and, and put into a nice little file for you. Yeah, no, and you're, and you're right. I mean, Facebook's targeting is fantastic, right? Like, and, and it's one of those things where, you know, they made a bunch of strategic buys early too, you know, Instagram, et cetera, where like they've, they've, they've really figured out how to dominate it. And, you know, it does, the thing that was really interesting to me is, you know, I mentioned this earlier where things kind of were contextual and then they moved towards audience growing and, moving the target on the users back, right? Like, I mean, Facebook has just taken it to another level too. Like they can infer things based on your your circles, who you hang out with, who you're friends with on the network, but aren't hanging out with in real life, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, it just shows you how much this data uh, collection um, and, and tar- retargeting has matured over such a short amount of time. And we're talking about less than 10 years here for this type of rapid growth and, and, for Facebook to know what they know, it's just incredible. Uh, the, it, it's great on some hand, on, in some regards, but like, you know, it's always a trade-off of, for convenience, for, you know, privacy. But, um, but man, when you start to see some of the things that happen and, and, and some of the impact of that, I think we're barely even understanding what some of the long-term effects of all this data collection are. I mean, and, and if you look at things like GDPR um, in, in Europe, where, you know, people are starting to get disclosed, like, 
how many parties are actually tracking them on a, on a website, not, not even a, a mobile app where, you know, you've got even more data collection going on, but like, you know, you can scroll on some websites and see a list of, you know, 200 plus vendors that are tracking your data. And, and most of them are names that people have never even heard of. And it's like, once you start going into this rabbit hole, like, I mean, I ran campaigns for many, many years and I can't tell you where the data stops, you know, like one vendor passes it to another, they copy it and, and store it somewhere else, you know? And so there's not a real high bar for integrity with with the existing landscape, and uh, and and a lot of it, you know, I don't think it's as menacing as people think it is. I think it's I think a lot of it is just that you know money came in fast and kept going, and you know when there's a boom, there's a boom, and I don't think a lot of these engineering and 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 companies were thinking about the long-term effects of this on, on privacy and, and just on kind of society too, like you were mentioning earlier with Facebook and, and the elections, right? Like it is a, it's a powerful tool to influence people. And, you know, like I'm always in the camp where, you know, people make their own decisions, right? Like, and, and, you know, I, I, a lot of this stuff is just kind of noise to me, but you know, there is a, there is a big value in, in these platforms being able to leverage and kind of try and influence people regardless of how they end up voting or whatever. But like the, the ability to kind of, stir the pot and get the hive going is incredible i mean and it's so fast it's just it's just you don't blink or you're gonna miss it you know yeah actually it was it was interesting uh one of the people who did that creepy line documentary they also one of the things they talked about was that you know anybody that uses facebook um you know when um elections are coming up usually you'll see um these little reminders like you know to uh, you know the last day to register to vote is next monday or whatever right or don't forget to vote you know the day of november 6th of, of of election day and what their point was is that what if they decided um whether you know it doesn't even have to be a national election it could be you know uh, say there's a, a city that they want to move into and open up something but there's uh, some local politicians that are opposing that move and they decide to go into that local city election and remind all the people that have liked the page of the person who's running against the guy that they don't like, remind them to vote, but don't remind, you know, the other guys, uh, um, whoever's liked, you know, the other guy's page to vote. And there's really no technically probably a record of that per se of who they tell to. Right. Uh, but I mean that, 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 you know, it's an interesting way, but it is a segue back to, back to brave. Um, what, you know, you kind of you've gone over a little a little bit about you know the the, the privacy integration, but what specifically um, in the Brave browser are you know as compared to what's natively done um, in you know Chrome, um, Mozilla, Safari, the other you know big three? What would a user who uses Brave instead of those ones? What privacy specifically privacy features are they going to be enjoying? that they would not enjoy over there or that they would ha the only way they could is if they downloaded a, a side plugin or something. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a great question. Um, and, you know, really early on, we, we took a really hard line with um, what we block by default. And, and we also put some care into that too, right? Like we don't want to make it where publishers can't, advertise you know first party ads on their website so if, if an ad looks like a piece of content we don't block that like we don't block you know squares in the in the uh in in the web page and that's, we we make sure that anything that goes to a third party gets blocked um and and it's on the, it's on a block list so what you get from us is much more aggressive uh, uh privacy protection out of the box um we have third party uh fingerprinting protection which is another area in the privacy space where you know you can 
you can identify a person based off of different characteristics in the browser. So, you know, uh, if you have enough of these things together, um, the, the target gets pretty low. And so what we started to do is we, we integrated a third party fingerprinting protection by default, third party ad blocking and tracking protection by default. We, uh, upgrade connections from, uh, HTTP to HTTPS whenever possible. Um, and then we do other things like, uh, you know, we stay up to date with Chromium, uh, for security. Um, we, uh, we also do things like we have a Tor integration on our desktop browser where you get uh, windows that can access the Tor network um, uh, for the, the uh, internet connection, which, you know, uh, provides a, a good uh, anonymity tool uh, for people when they want to browse um, in the browser uh, and, and have anonymity. Um, and there's a lot of other things. I mean, a, a lot of this goes into the decision making, you know, like, are, are we making, you know, we say no a lot to, uh, to, to potential opportunities and also to like uh, design design and other decisions because it anything that would kind of compromise uh, our, our promise to our user base or is something that we say no to. And so I've never seen anything like it, actually, if I'm being quite honest, like um, nothing like this in, in the advertising space from before. But it goes beyond that, too. I mean, like one of the things with the token and, and with what we're integrating into Brave is like what happens if you take privacy by design and then and then apply that to you know, uh, the web, the business, uh, business doing, I mean, uh, businesses online, right? Like, um, what, how can we design a model where you can account for activity? Um, and like an advertiser just wants to know, right? Like that they targeted something to people and that, uh, those people engage with whatever they were putting out there, whether they engage with it or not, or pull up, thumb up, thumb down, you know, click through whatever, you know, these are events that we can, we can account for. And, and we can account for them without having to put a user ID on it or having to have, you know, people feel like they're getting followed by things. Um, and, and so by everything is kind of about what we're doing with advertising is, is private by design. So like even the way that we serve ads, uh, you know, the, the thing that all these advertisers tell you when you sign over your privacy to them by, by participating is basically that, you know, we need to collect all this data because you in turn get relevant advertising. And um, and, and in 2018, it's kind of silly that, you know, all of these ads are matched in the cloud by all these third parties and you're surrendering. It's kind of like a, a similar line to when, you know, you sacrifice your liberties for, um, for, for, protection, right? Or for security, you know, it's a similar thing with like re relevancy in, in advertising. Um, and so like in order to get this free web, you basically hand over the keys to your privacy to these parties that you don't know. And, uh, and then they put ads in front of your face everywhere. And then, you know, you get tracked and, and your data gets, you know, passed through the Lumascape and, um, and, and that's what you get for a free internet. And we think, you know, Technology's improved. Um, there are ways like cryptographically that we can account for things anonymously with zero knowledge uh, on our side. So like we don't have to collect the data, but we can attribute for the activity. And uh, and even with the ad serving, like with with Brave ads, and we actually just today we. Uh, released on our developer channel, um, the ability for the public to actually kind of test drive our ad platform. Uh, and so what we're doing with, with the ad platform is we're saying, look, you know, we can take all of the ad opportunities for your region, compress them down into edge cache URLs, and then send that to all the devices and put the ad server on the device. And so you have a smart device and you have a smart ad server that's local to the device. And instead of dealing with, you know, third party uh, ad matching in the cloud through central authorities, we, we do the ad matching locally on the device from the entire 
you know, browsing corpus of data. So you get a much fuller context if you're if you're matching ads to that than you do from having third parties kind of you know bidding against keywords or bidding against data that they've been collecting. And uh, and you know you get a much more relevant uh, ad selection process. And so we're we're kind of turning the the ad matching part on its lid, but it's all in the name of privacy because you know and I, and I was working with the team on this stuff early on, and you know it was one of those things where you know we're able to update block lists every night that have URLs that change, right? Like, uh, why, why can't we just do that with the ads too? And then use like machine learning locally and kind of match these things and end up with something really relevant and not have to show a user, you know, like a hundred ads, you know, you can show them five ads an hour and, and they can be high quality ads that are matched locally and, uh, respect their privacy and, you know, and have that be a new way that people can monetize, uh, and, and give them something for it. You know, it's, it's kind of a, a lot of little things that we're solving in a big way, I think. No, that 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 sounds great. I was I was going to actually ask you about the Tor integration, but you already you already answered that. So, um, <laughs> and that kind of answered all the all the questions that I had. Uh, is there was there anything else, uh, whether it's to content creators out there, uh, to users, um, you know, publishers, anything? Was there anything else that you want to let them know about the the browser or BAT? Yeah, sure. I mean, if you, if you haven't checked out our new browser, I would suggest going to brave.com and, uh, and, and giving it a spin. Um, it's, it's much more, it's much improved over our old desktop browser. Um, and then we're available on all platforms. Um, also if you go to, uh, brave.com and you go to our blog page, um, we actually announced this morning that uh, we have a, a preview, a developer channel preview for brave ads that's available now to the public. So, um, if you, if you download our brave developer channel release, um, you can actually go into brave rewards and enable it and get a, get a feel for what the ads are going to look like. Um, you don't get token rewards rewards yet for the ads, but that'll be coming in a couple of weeks. And, um, and so, yeah, yeah, feel free, you know, we're, we're out there on the internet, we're on Twitter, we're, we're, we're out and about. So uh, give us a shout or if you have any questions, we're happy to kind of, you know, we, we're pretty engaged with the public. So yeah, go to brave.com and, and check everything out. Yeah. And I'll have uh, links to all those social media profiles, the, the blog um, and the website and everything that you mentioned. And um yeah, thank thank you so much, Luke, for for taking time out of your uh, night since we're recording in the evening, and uh, and coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. This has been really enjoyable. No, it was for me as well. Have a great night. You too. Take care.